Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. Friends, uh, we've got a great uh, passage to delve into today, and I feel the weight of having to explain it. Um, you'll kind of understand as we walk our way through it, but I need the help of God. So whether you're online or whether you're in the room today, would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, we just come before you. I want a beautiful service already to hear the work of Dina, to hear the work of our missions partners. Bless them, God. Bless them for their faithful work and service of your kingdom. And Lord, as we come before your word, whether we're new to church or this is a place that we've come to regularly, may we, we believe that you want to speak to us today. May we quiet our hearts to hear your voice. And in all things, Lord Jesus, would you be glorified. Less of us, more of you. Less of me, more of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. I don't know if you've ever had an experience that turned you off something or like you had a negative interaction with something. You're like, I I don't know if I could ever go back to that again. For me, it's peanut butter and chocolate. I do not like peanut butter in chocolate as a standard. Now I realise you're out there judging me already as if like I just told you I hate baby sheep. But there's this there's this moment where a couple of years ago, my parents took me to uh, Niagara Falls back when I was about 12 and we were on a train travelling to Niagara Falls. They said to me, Michael, you can have any lolly you want, any chocolate you want to eat on the journey. And when you say like to a kid, do you have any lolly? The child goes into like this scheming mode of how can I choose one lolly that's really many lollies? And so I chose this thing called Reese's buttercups and yeah wow wow okay you're not gonna like where this finishes um and uh Reese's buttercups like this package of like a peanut butter and chocolate cupcake kind of things and there's about 12 of them in a packet I'm like yeah I can have one lolly one lolly with many lollies in it so I bought it my sister's got a lollipop each and they're older than me and I'm like you guys didn't play this game right and so I'm there on this like chain that's moving backwards and forwards like this and I'm like I have to eat all these buttercups before anyone else tries to eat one so here I am on this train to Niagara Falls scoffing down these peanut butter and chocolate cupcakes I was like getting them into me I finish I start running around the the, the carriage like as if I'm Rocky Balboa having you know one against against my opponent and then motion sickness starts to set in I'm like ooh should not have had that glass of milk for breakfast right like it's like I could just start to feel it like mushing around in my stomach long story short I find myself in five minutes time in the toilet on the cabbage on the cabbage it's a different narrative different story hey cabbages as well they're not on the carriage and I'm just like revisiting those peanut butter but uh, those cupcakes over and over and over again I'm also revisiting morning tea breakfast and dinner from the night before I'm like oh and I come out I remember this like there was one left and my my sister's like, do you want this last one? I'm like, oh, no, and I ran back inside. Ever since that moment, I've, ne- I've, I've had this such an adverse reaction to it. I'm not allergic, I'm just greedy. And so I couldn't, I could no longer eat peanut butter and chocolate. It's just not a vibe for me. Now I realise that's a vibe for some of you, but sometimes in life, it's true, hey? It's like we, we have an interaction with a spider, uh, a car or like a ride at, at movie world. And it has such a moment for us that it produces an adverse reaction. We never want to go back there again. Have you ever had those experiences? The problem, I think, there's many problems, but one of them 
is when those experiences happen in church and it happened with Christians. And then when it happens with people who are Christians in leadership, when people have such an adverse reaction or experience of someone who's in Christian leadership and it doesn't go well, there's hurt, there's pain, it can lead and has led to many people to walk away from church. And in the worst case, to walk away from God altogether. In fact, the last couple of years, I don't know if you feel this, but it's been a bit wearying as we see scandal after scandal. Now we've got streaming services. We're seeing them make Netflix documentaries around pastors who are falling from grace. And, and on the front of all these people's minds as a source of entertainment is this idea that Christian leaders fall short. Now, this is not new. If you've grown up in the Christian church like I have, you would know this has been happening for all of our lives. It's been happening for the last couple of thousand years. But now, like never before, it's front and centre in the cultural narrative of our day and age. And that's why today I think it's really appropriate. I think it's providence that God leads us into the last part of 1 Peter, where Peter spends the last part of his letter talking to the church in Asia Minor, and he does it by addressing their leaders. He talks to them about the standard of leadership that God requires of His church. He talks to them about the standard of influence that God requires of those who offer. Why? Because friends, you and I know that when Christians get it wrong that have influence and that are leading, it's not only the church that hurts, the world hurts. And that people think that the character of these pastors or of us as Christians is always accurately reflecting the character of God. And you and I both know that's not always true, much to our own detriment. So today, I don't know where you're at in your faith. I don't know where you're in your journey. Maybe it's your first time you've been in church for a while and it's complete news to you that Christian leaders fall short, in which case, praise God. Praise God that that's not been your experience. But there are people here today who you've watched those documentaries. There are people here today who you're at New Life because it's where you're feeling safe right now. And there's a healing happening in you. Thank you for being here today. There are some of you here today that are still working through hurt and pain and this is your first day back in church and you're like, oh, what a day to choose. Some of you here today, you are the leaders that fell short. Thank you for being here today. I believe God is calling us into a moment where we as new life decide what is the kind of leadership that we want to exhibit as a church and what are we going to do when we get that wrong? When we get that wrong. Peter would say to us all that maybe today isn't necessarily about providing healing for all of that. Maybe today isn't going to give us the five-step plan to be the perfect leader, but I think it erases for us that actually when humanity falls short and hurts others, that is never God's intention for His church. That when we get it wrong, that's never reflective of God's character. And we need to be more often as Christians naming, hey, the problem with the church is not Jesus, it's us. And so Peter writes today to the church in Asia Minor, but I wonder if he writes it also, not only to us, but to the global church. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we read, Peter wants to talk about three roles today. Three roles which are crucial to the formation of the church. He wants to talk to us about the shepherd. Everyone say shepherd. Everyone say sheep. And everyone say lion. He wants to talk to us today about the role of the shepherd, the role of the sheep and the role of the lion. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak powerfully to us. He begins in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And just as I say that, just like sense God prompting me, maybe you're online, you're here, and you're not a Christian at all. 
and you're wondering how this applies to you, my hope is, is that you wouldn't see a character of humanity on display today. You would hear the character of God despite humanity on display today. That you wouldn't come trust in a dude that stands down the front with a microphone and talks for half an hour, but you would learn that the only one that we can truly trust is Jesus Christ Himself. That's my hope. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter writes this. He says, finally, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory that will be revealed to the elders among you. Peter's final part of the letter begins by saying, hey, to the elders of Asia Minor. Now, listen, you may be here today wondering, what on earth is an elder? Just find someone in the room with grey hair and just point at them for a second. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. That is not... An elder, that, that might be someone that's elderly, but here at New Life, our elderly men, they're filled with passion and fire and they're ready to take the world. You know, amen, all those of you. Cool, there's three. There's, um, and there's a sense where in the old church, in fact, in the modern church as well, for the last couple thousand years, the idea of an elder is not denoting someone's age. It's actually an office and a position in the church. When Jesus instigated His church and the disciples were forming these communities, they realised that they needed to have these structures and accountability processes in place for the local church. And so they instituted what's known as an eldership. And elders were men and women of God who were placed over communities of faith. They kind of, they, their responsibility was to be, make sure that everyone in the community, particularly the pastors, were accountable, that the money and the resources were handled wisely, and that people could trust that there was health and vitality because issues were confronted appropriately. It's actually a really good thing. Now, Peter writes to the elders of Asia Minor. And so a lot of the questions we get when someone comes to New Life is this, how is New Life governed? How is New Life governed? Like, like, what's your leadership structure? Is that skinny white dude down the front? Is he just like, does he just say things and they happen? Is that what happens down here? And if you know our church, the answer is definitely not. That's not the way New Life functions. You see, here at New Life, we're really blessed. We are one family, but many churches. We're a church planting church, which means that we plant churches with pastors. Um, we have a church down in Coolangatta. We have a church in Rabina. We have a church in Brisbane. We've just planted a new church in New Life Morden, and we're joined online by our New Life Online community as well. We plant churches because we believe God's called us to multiply. But um, what's really important for us is local leadership and corporate accountability. So if you go to the slide, what we have is our governing structures. We have this group of people called the New Life Council. And the New Life Council are eight women and men who um, sit with me on the council and we oversee the strategic and the visionary life of our church, the risk and compliance, the legal compliance. There's eight, or eight, eight men and women who are talented. We have CEOs of the Commonwealth Games. We have people working in HR and different men and women of God who are called to offer this leadership to our church. They all do it voluntarily except for me. And then every single one of our locations, in fact, I don't think we do, but do we have any council members here today at the moment in the service? We had them all in the 8 a.m. If you are, could you just stand right now? No, they're not here. Okay, that's okay. They were in the first service. It's not because they don't come to church, trust me. Oh no, we do. David Yates, please stay standing, Mr. Yates. That'd be awesome. Sorry, you'll be joined in a second. And then we have every location has its own eldership, have its own group of people that rock up to church on Sundays, that provide leadership and wise accountability and structure to the pastors and the staff and the people of the church. And we here at Rabina, we also have our elders. So if you're an elder at New Life Rabina, could I get you to stand up? Please stay standing, Mr. Yates. We've got Liz down the back. I think we've got Lynn. You're about to be an elder next year. Could you stand? Belinda, you're here somewhere. I think, oh, she may have gone home. Uh, that's Sorry not to shame you there. We've got Tash down there. And we had a bunch of them at the 8 a.m. And, and then we'll have more at the 6 p.m. as well. 
And so these are the men and women of God who form the leadership oversight of our church. We also then have pastors and reverends who also exhibit this sense of care and accountability to our church. If you're a pastor or a reverend at New Life, would you stand? That'd be awesome. We've got John down the front. We've got Aaron over here. We've got Stephen down the back. There's a bunch of us in the room. Now, here's the thing. Peter is writing to the leadership of the church in Asia Minor. So the good thing is, if you're not standing, today's sermon's not for you. If you can all just stay standing, I'm just gonna talk directly to you guys today, if that's okay. Everyone just look at them, let's just put some pressure on. No, I'm kidding. Can we just, I just wanna say, we're part of church where I have been held accountable by these people standing. I've been challenged, I've been encouraged, and I believe this church has been guided well. Can we just thank and celebrate the leadership that is at New York? You guys grab a seat. I say that to you because this church is, is, is led by collaboration. It's not led by a person that may have indigestion or the voice of God and just tries to test it out on a Sunday. This church is led by a group of people appointed by the congregation to lead and offer wise counsel. The reason why I say that is I also wanna expand the definition of what Peter's talking about here. He's not just talking to those people who are standing, but now day and age, more people than just elders and pastors offer spiritual leadership to the church. I think if you're here in the room and you're a small group leader, you're a kid's life leader, you're a youth leader, the standard of leadership that Peter's about to talk to also applies to us. Also applies to us. But it would be wrong if you're sitting here today and you're like, well, it's my first time on Sunday, so he's not talking to me. I'm gonna pull out my phone and Instagram scroll because this isn't for me. Not so. What does Peter say? What does he say? To the elders among you. Which means what? that Peter is writing, not just to the leaders of the church, he's writing to the whole church and he's asking the whole church to lean in and listen. Hey, let me tell you, Peter says, what you should expect of the people in leadership around you. What you should expect if someone steps into leadership, what is important in God's church. This is a really crucial moment. Because see, friends, in my experience, every time I read a newspaper article, I watch a documentary, or I see someone in a Christian faith who's fallen short, has to get stood down, the crucial factor in them all is always no one ever challenged them. People saw what was happening. They had no governance or accountability around their life. And what I wanted to say in a moment is Peter gives the responsibility for holding leaders accountable, not to a secret group that meet in a room, but to the people of God. We should lean in and as leaders, we should be held accountable by the people we are called to serve. And so don't, don't step out right now, lean in and, and hear the characteristics that Peter offers for those who are called to serve the church. And if you are in leadership, you're a small group leader, you're a kid's life leader, you're an elder, you're a council member, you're a pastor, friends, or you aspire to one day offer service to the church in those ways, this is for us because this is what Peter says will reflect the character of God. He writes to them and he says, I write to you not as a guy who sat there one day and was like, I might tell people how to do their job. As a fellow elder, Peter, Peter writes, and who witnessed the suffering of Christ. What gives Peter the right to write about leadership? He says, because guys, I'm involved in it in my local church too. And secondly, I saw the best leader there ever was. I saw him suffer. I saw him walk. I watched his integrity. I didn't come up with these five points of leadership hoping to have a podcast that would make me money. Peter's saying, I'm telling you, let me tell you the character of Christ and how it should be reflected in your leadership. If you're a non-Christian in the room today, what Peter's about to share to us is the character of the one that we call Jesus. And he's calling us to reflect his character. Don't look to me to know if God is trustworthy. Look to Christ. That's what Peter is saying. What does he say to those who are leaders in the church? He says this, 
in the next verse. That should be verse 2. 1 Peter 5 verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Be shepherd of God's flock. You know, Peter had a chance to use any motif he could about leadership in the church. He could have said, all right, leaders in the church, you are generals of God's army. He could have said, you are Caesars. You are rulers. You're Pharisees. You're business owners. You're entrepreneurs. He could have used any allegory in that moment to describe what leadership in the church should look like. But instead, he uses a bunch of dudes who are smelly and hang out with smelly sheep to be like, be like the shepherds. This is, this is really important. Because Christian leadership, what Peter is doing here is not downgrading and making leadership less than the world. He's strengthening it and making it more important than anything the world has in terms of what a good leader should look like. Peter says, leaders in the church are like shepherds. Christian leaders act like shepherds. Why do we act like shepherds? Because every time in the Bible that God talks of His own leadership and His care for His people, what does He say? What does he describe himself as? When Jesus talked about his care for the people who would follow him, what were the words he used? He said, I am the good shepherd. And when I walk through the courtyard, you better call me Pastor Jesus. Is that what he said? I am the good shepherd. And if I tell you to give to the local church, you better give. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus said, hey, well, I am the good shepherd and whatever I say, go. no, that's not what Jesus, what did he say? I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is the character of Christ that we serve. And this is the character of the leaders we are called to be. Friends, we should be looking at our leaders and asking, hey, are you a shepherd? Are you a shepherd? It's a stronger word than leader. Why? Peter tells us because it requires more. He goes on and he says in this moment, he says a shepherd in verse, uh, at the end of verse two is someone who is not a shepherd because, of, um, because they are obligated to, but because they are willing as God wants you to be. You are a shepherd not because you want, you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. What's he's talking about this? He's saying the shepherd has the right motivation. How horrible it would be if I stood up on Sunday as your pastor and like, guys, I really don't want to be here. All my friends are down at the golf course. I would prefer to be with them, but I'm paid to be here, so here I am. You go, what on earth did we give up Sunday morning for to be here? This is horrible. Because the sense of obligation, no one wants to be served by someone that's obligated. No one wants to be served by a kid's life leader that feels obliged, by a small group leader that feels obliged to be there. What's Peter saying is that the right motivation for Christian leaders is that they feel called. I feel called. I feel called into this to offer influence that would reflect God's character and good into the world. But not only called, called to do what? Peter goes on. He says that a good shepherd is someone that feels called, not pursuing dishonest gain, he says, but eager to serve. There's this Netflix documentary a couple of years ago called Preachers in LA. And it was followed in real time, a bunch of these preachers in LA who had these massive megachurch congregations. But as they were following them around, you found these guys that they were, they were leaders and their belief was that they were called to be pastors. And because they were pastors, they deserved to drive the best cars and live in the best houses. And they would preach like straight to the camera and straight to the congregation. I am a pastor, so I deserve double honour. And that's why tithes and offerings are important in the church, so I can actually bless my family. And this, this horrible narrative of these pastors who were saying, I deserve this and I'm doing this that I might gain. But Peter says, a leader in the church 
is not doing it for their own selfish gain, but to serve others. And that is what reflects the heart of Christ, is those who are called to lay down their lives in such a way that when people look at them, they don't see someone doing it for themselves, but doing it for the sake of others. Friends, the questions that we must ask if we are in leadership is what is my motive and who am I called to serve? Not what do I gain? If I join the Kids Life team, what's in it for me? Friends, you've already missed the point altogether. If I join the car park team, what's in it for me? You've missed the point altogether. That's not the reflection of the character of God. Not only is it right motive, not only is it right service, but Peter says it's also right example in verse 3. Not doing it over those, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, Peter says. What's he saying here? He's saying that the greatest form of leadership isn't skill. The greatest form of leadership is not how good someone is and whether or not they can talk on a microphone or they can run a program or they know how to quite the different verses. The greatest form of leadership is example. A people who live what they claim to preach. How destructive is it, friends, when we hear sermons that are beautiful and eloquent and well-worded, preached by people who at times look nothing like the message they just shared? One of my greatest fears as a pastor are the moments when I have, and it has happened to me, where people have come up and said, Michael, it was a phenomenal message. I don't see it present in your life. And I'm thankful for people of God who would challenge me like that. And may we be a church who are always bold enough to challenge each other's example that we might protect the gospel presence in our life, that others might look at us and see a reflection of Jesus. And when we fall short, we might guard each other safely and compassionately offer this loving correction saying, hey, That's not the example we're called to set. David Platt would say it like this. The people of God will not be what they cannot see. The people of God will not be what they cannot see. And we're like, well, is that the pastor's job? Is that the elder's job? Friends, in a church this size, it's not the job of a select few. It's a job of all those who are called into the lay ministry of all believers that we are all called to influence and lead God's people and God's church if we have this measure and desire to follow Him. Last week, Ori Zaka preached a phenomenal message to our online community. He actually preached the same passage I'm preaching at the moment. And he probably did a much better job. You should go look at it online. It's a lot shorter and a lot funnier, I think. Um, But he had this great line. He said, ultimately, we're called to lead like shepherds, not heroes. See, friends, shepherds are not just about achieving a goal, but prioritising a people. Shepherds know arriving at a destination without the flock is actually failure. Shepherds know the whole flock is their responsibility. Should one fall by the wayside, then there is a mission and a heart to find them and seek them back. Shepherds lay down their life for their sheep. We are called to lead like shepherds. The way that we're going to offer a healing balm to a world hurting with destructive and poisonous and toxic leadership is not by us deciding to shout more about how good we are, but by living more faithfully in the ways of Jesus as the people of God. We're called to lead like shepherds. And the second thing that Peter says is even more challenging. He says, we're called to trust like sheep. He goes on and and in verse 5, no, before that, this is really important. In verse 4, Peter goes that we get to be encouraged to ask these questions because we're held to our highest standard because we know the one who's actually in charge. In verse 4, Peter says, And when the great shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's a beautiful thing that happens here. What Peter does is he calls the local leadership of the local church to be shepherds. And then he says, but guess what, guys? You're not actually in charge and it's not your own responsibility. He reminds us that you want to know who is in charge of new life? 
Do you want to know who is in charge of this church? It's not Daniel Pampook, our chair of council. It's not Wayne Warwick, our chair of elders. It's not Michael Hands, the lead minister. It's not, you know, Nicola Turner, our young family's pastor. The person who is in charge of this church is Jesus Christ Himself. And anyone that steps into leadership does it on behalf of Jesus, not Jesus doing it on behalf of them. We serve His agenda. And when we get that wrong, that's when people get hurt. But we live for a day when He will come home and He will see the people we have taken care of on His behalf. And we will see the glory of God and get to share in it because of our faithfulness to the mission He's called us to. That is the reward of the leader, not nicer cars, not bigger houses, not more Instagram followers. Is that we get to join in the chief shepherd in His work of redeeming the world around us. That's what fills the leader with hope in the Christian church. We're called to lead like shepherds under the ministry and leadership of the great shepherd and we're called to trust like sheep. Peter goes on in verse 5 and he says, Now to all you who are younger, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Find someone younger than you in the room and say, you've got to respect me. No, I'm kidding. That is not what Peter is talking about. Some of you are actually doing it right now. It's interesting tea and coffee afterwards. Now in those days, generally the elders at the time, it was an age demographic thing. But most commentators believe that what Peter's talking about is people who do not have the office of eldership. What does everyone else do? And he says this thing, submit to those who are in authority. Now, I don't know about you, but in Australia, as soon as you ask an Australian to submit to authority, they're like, oh, mate, you go take a long walk of a short pier as far as I'm concerned. Like, you know, there's not this sense of this willingness in us. Why? Because we hear this and we're like, you're calling me to trust like a sheep, Michael. And that's offensive. It's offensive to call people sheep because sheep aren't farts, aren't farts animals, aren't smart animals. <laughs> Exhibit A. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. Man cannot know that God is his shepherd unless he feels that he has the nature of a sheep. He must relate to a sheep in its foolishness, its dependency and in the warped nature of its will. Friends, the truth is, is that we're actually all sheep. There's no one in this room that's a follower of Jesus that isn't first considered a sheep of his flock. We all need a shepherd. And some of you, when I say that, that maybe God's actually calling us to submit to pastoral authorities, to the elders or the leaders or the you know, ministry leaders of our day. We're like, hang on, Michael. I, I left the church where they said, hey, I'm a pastor, obey what I say. And I'm, I'm, I'm not buying. And I get that. But it's also not what I'm saying. Some of you are hearing that what Peter's saying here is that if a pastor says jump, you don't say why, you say how high. Some of you are hearing say if a pastor or an elder or a leader in the church asks you to give a certain amount, serve a certain way, that you've just got to do it unquestioningly and blindingly. And I just got to be honest, that is not what I think Peter's talking about here. Because of the context of what he says a leader in the local church does. The leader of the local church doesn't lord over people. What does he do? He, what does she do? Sets an example and serves them. And so to submit yourself to pastoral authority in a local church is to allow yourself to be cared for and served by the leaders of the church. When you're in a church where it's oppressive leadership, where the leadership is about making the leaders greater and you lesser, that's not godly leadership. I learned this through a man named Bruce Moore. You give me permission to share this. He's the next moderator-elect of the Uniting Church in Queensland. Used to, he still attends our church in Brisbane, now New Life Morden. But when I planted Brisbane, he came as one of our key people to be there. And I loved him. He supported me. He's been in ministry longer than I've been alive. Like He was a source of wisdom. But there was a moment, right, where I realised he saw me as his pastor. 
His wife received a really painful diagnosis. And, and when that happened, he rang me and I expected him to say to me, Michael, just letting you know, like I've sold out some other pastor friends um, who have more experience than you and they're going to take care of me. Just I'm fine. Because that's what people do to me because I'm young. And he rang me and he said, Michael, um, this has happened. And we, you know, we cried together and he said, I want to let you know, Michael, I need you to pastor me through this. I said, oh, Bruce, like, man, he said, no, 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 hear me. I need you to pastor me through this. Me and my family, I need to know you'll be there. A man with more experience, more authority, more skill, more competency than I could ever hope. And what was he doing in that moment? It was an act of humility saying, Michael, you may not know how to do this, but I'm going to allow my life to teach you what it means to pastor someone through this. Come and care for us. And I was so humbled by that. The reasons why I say this, friends, is because in a church this size, we sometimes can think it's someone else's job to pastor us rather than actually allow us to be shepherded by the people that are around us. If you're waiting for John Morris to give you a call this week to ask how you are, you're probably going to be waiting for a long time. Not because John's not a good pastor, but we've got 3,000 people that call New Life home. But to do that, we have small groups, we have elders, we have pastoral teams, we have volunteers, all structured. And what happens is that people who choose not to belong to a small group, people who choose not to catch up with others who feel called to care for them, people who don't rock up the small group and say, hey, listen, I need you guys to care for me right now, but we act like these, these guarded beings sometimes. What we're honestly saying at moments is going, I will take care of myself and I'll choose who cares for me. Rather than what Peter is saying here is submit yourselves to the pastoral day, the authority of your day that you would be cared for and other people might grow and be blessed by your humility. It's not about washing a pastor's car. It's about allowing community to be real and open and genuine with each other. Do not hear me say you need to allow everyone in this church into your life. That's not safe and it's not the right. But I am saying we are a church where we will only exist to lead and love each other well if we learn to lean on each other well. A sheep who stands alone is a sheep ripe for attack. But sheep who huddle together are sheep who stand firm. When sheep are most dangerous, it's when they're in a herd because you can't get the weakling because the others will surround them, care for them and love them. But we do this not because we just need to trust humanity, but it's actually the way God calls us to treat Him. What goes on, doesn't Peter write in the next verse, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now I'm someone that has anxiety and usually verse 7 there is kind of used as a, oh Michael, you're a bit worried. Cast all your anxieties on God because He cares for you. And people walk off as if they say, oh, that's all I had to do. Um, this is not talking about clinical anxiety where like you're probably you know, you're seeing someone and may, maybe talking to a doctor about what that looks like. It, it means the, the natural kind of worry an existential dread that we all feel. That's what Peter's trying to address here. But before he goes there, he says, before you can deal with your anxieties, there's a position you must take with God of humility to first acknowledge that God, you are my shepherd. God, I'm really worried right now. I don't know where the greener pasture is. I don't know what the weather's gonna be like tomorrow. I don't know how I'm gonna survive or how I'm gonna cope, but I choose to humble myself before your mighty hand. I choose to trust in You and at the right time, all the things that I'm worried about, they're gonna take place. I'm worried about if I'm, my significance, I'm worried about being known and successful. God, at the right time, You'll position me where I need to be. I will cast all my anxieties upon You. Friends, sometimes if we allowed how we act towards God be played out in a sheep and shepherd situation, can you imagine sheep just being nervously bleeding, but where are we gonna to eat tomorrow, shepherd? Tell me now. The shepherd's like, just trust me, I've got it. 
No, 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 no. I need to know the five-step plan to how we're getting to the valley because last time I didn't really like what you did. And so I'd love us to take a vote on whether or not we should go the way you want us to go. It's often how we treat God, right? We continue to worry about things because we don't like how He's handling them. And in this moment, what God is actually saying, hey, we're all sheep and we all need a shepherd. And at times when humanity fails us, you will always have a shepherd who is faithful. You will always have a shepherd who is true. When Michael, the lead minister of New Life, lets you down, there is a shepherd who will never let you down. His name is Jesus and He can be trusted. He has never let you drop. He's never let you fail. He's never let you fall. He's never walked out away from you or allowed you to walk through a moment of darkness where He has not been present. And when we think that, that God can't handle what we're walking through, it's pride and we understand what Peter is saying. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Trust like a sheep for He is a good shepherd. He cares for you. We're called to lead like shepherds. As we trust the shepherd, we're called to trust like sheep. And finally, Peter says, and in all of this, there's something that's working against you. It's a lion. He says in verse 8, after the shepherd, the sheep and the lion, in verse 8, he goes along like this. He says, Be alert and sober-minded, he writes. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, after the first service, uh, I don't think I explained this very well because someone came up to me like, I'm the shepherd, I'm the sheep and the devil's not real. I'm like, oh, that definitely wasn't what I said in Scripture. So I want to be very clear. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I believe that the devil is real, that the enemy is real. Friends, we live in a spiritual world and if there are spiritual forces for good, then there are spiritual forces for evil. Those spiritual forces have been conquered and vanquished at the cross of Jesus Christ. The war has been won, but there is still a battle that is operating, a battle of discouragement, a battle of doubt, a battle of distraction that tries to pull Christians away from trusting in God and who He is. If we can go to D.L. Moody quote, D.L. Moody says it like this, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser and his fiery darts. I'm confident of this. That friends, the Christian church will always be under spiritual attack as the enemy tries to take out its leaders and ruin your trust in Jesus. I wanna be clear. What I am talking about here is not removing culpability from humanity when we've failed. Christian leaders who have fallen short should be held to account, 100%. And anyone that says, well, it was just the devil that made me do it, really should not be in leadership. But what Peter is saying is that, Peter, is that the devil will use human failures to increase your lack of trust in God. The devil will, will wait until you've isolated yourself out of hurt and out of pain and as a sheep disconnected from the herd to pounce in that moment and to convince you that this is who God is, not just humanity. That the enemy uses these times where, where the church is in disarray to actually make us believe this is an accurate reflection of God rather than God grieves with us when humanity hurts each other. God hurts when His church is falling apart. God grieves when there are non-Christians who go, I would never go to Christianity because your leaders are corrupt, they're selfish. This hurts the heart of God because it's not the plan of God that we would lose trust in His people or in Him. And there's a moment, friends, we've got to recognise that the church is in a spiritual warfare. 
And we are called to pray for one another, pray for our leaders, pray for our friends, our brothers and sisters, that we would stand firm in the faith. And this is what Peter goes on to say. He says, so therefore, stand firm, resist Him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. What's Peter saying, friends? The suffering you may be walking through, the persecution you may be walking through, the, dis- the difficulty you're in, that maybe maybe you're feeling like disconnecting from community, you're not the first person to experience it. It's been experienced by Christians all throughout history and all throughout the world. And today, God is saying you are not alone. He sees you, He knows you, and He wants to let you know you are held and protected when you put your trust in Him. Who is your shepherd today, friends? Who are you trusting like a sheep to hold your soul, your safety? Friends, I've got to be honest. If you come to new life, you will be disappointed. I will fail you. Some of you fall asleep in my sermons all the time. I'm sorry that they're boring. I know some of you are like, oh, He can see me. Everything. (laughs) I'm a human. Our elders are human. Our pastors are human. If you expect this church to never disappoint you, you are in for a rude shock. But I pray we will be a church that is fast to repent, fast to confess, correcting one another. Our leaders are not invulnerable from mistakes. We make mistakes all the time, but may we be a church where we have the safety to call it out, to correct it, to realign our hearts that we might reflect the character of God as we see more people become more like Jesus. There is a real shepherd, friends. He cares for his real sheep and he's already defeated the lion. But it comes down to a question of who do you trust? So today I want to finish with a question. Are you ready to trust Jesus? The one who demonstrated what a real shepherd does. When the sheep that He created, you and I, broke our covenant, He didn't run from us. He didn't abandon us. and didn't say, well, you got yourself stuck in the valley, so get yourself out. He jumped in with us. When God looks at my failures as the lead minister of this church, what He says to me is, Michael, my grace is for you. My mercy is on you every morning. When He looks at your life and how little you fail, how often you fail to live up to the standard of Christ, He doesn't condemn you. He convicts you and corrects you and says, come home, let's try again. And maybe you're here today and the first person I want to talk to is those of you who think that your worth and value is based on you being a good enough leader, person or individual. We know how to lead because our great shepherd didn't hold our failures against us. He gave us His love, His mercy and His forgiveness even when we didn't deserve it. That's what true shepherding and leadership looks like. Friends, if you don't know the love of Jesus Christ, then it's on offer for you today that your heart would be shepherded by the only one who can bring you home safely. Do you know Jesus? Second group of people I want to talk to today is those of you who I think may be called into pastoral ministry. I didn't get to do this at the 8am because um, a bunch of different reasons. But I really felt convicted to say this. I think some of you as I preach today believe God has called you to be some form of a shepherd amongst His people. It might be in paid ministry. It might be in volunteer ministry. Maybe you're called to be a leader and a shepherd in your workplace, but there's a stirring in you that you want to see your life write a different narrative than the failure we're seeing around the world right now. I want to pray for you. I believe some of you are going to be called into ministry at New Life. And I want to pray for you this morning. And I wonder if either of those two things are true for you. I would love to pray. So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? Gracious God, we wait upon You now. 
Father, whether we're online or in the room, I just pray we just pause. Friends, there is a shepherd that loves you so deeply and dearly. He wants to show you greener pastures, a beautiful life, and a way to trust him in every trial. If you're here today and you're overwhelmed by your failure, but you want to know a shepherd that gives you a second chance, you want to know Jesus. If you have never followed Jesus or want to re-follow him again today, I want to give you that opportunity now. If you want to follow Jesus today for the first or second time, would you just raise your hand wherever you are right now? If you want to trust Jesus as your shepherd, would you raise your hand right now? That's awesome. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you so much. I see your hand. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for those people who have their hands raised. Can I just get you to keep your hands raised? I'm going to just pray for you publicly right now. Not, no one's going to look. I'm just looking at you. Our section leaders are praying for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for those hands that are raised, that they would know you as the faithful shepherd. They would know that you are calling them home. They would know that you've forgiven them and that you want to lead them faithfully, that they may lead faithfully. If your hand is raised, every person in this room is going to pray this prayer with you. Would you repeat these words after me? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to follow you. Show me your shepherd heart and teach me to be your sheep, to trust you and to believe in you as my Lord, my Saviour and my friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, we just we join with Him. Can we celebrate people responding to that call today? Thank you, Jesus, that people did that in your mighty name. If you respond to the section leader after service, I'd love to give you a Bible, have a chat with you and pray with you. But, but now I want to ask those of you who sense that call. This may be no one, I don't know. But I sense some of you feel stirring in your heart, hey, God has called me to be a leader in the church. And I don't know what it looks like. I'm not, no one's offering you a job today. That's not what this is. This isn't like a job interview. This is actually just a moment where I'd love to pray for you. As a volunteer leader, or maybe you're thinking God may call you church planning or staff or something like that. I wonder if God has called you into ministry and you're wanting to discern that, I'd love, would you just stand wherever you are if you feel stirring around leading in God's church today? Would you stand wherever you are? This might be no one. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Thank you for having the courage. As people are standing, can I get some people to stand with them? We're just going to pray for these people. Just pray for what is on their life. Can I get some people to just stand, put your hand on their shoulder? Don't need to ask their story. Wow. Got some people standing. It's awesome. Father, I pray right now for people standing. Lord, people I've had conversations with, people I've never had conversations with, they're saying, God, I sent you calling me to something. I sent you calling me to be a shepherd of your people in some way, shape or form. I pray right now that you would anoint them and cover them, that there would be a stirring in your heart. Shape them in the moments of obscurity, that for the moments of public ministry, they would have character and integrity shaped by your Holy Spirit. I pray for people in this room standing. There are women right now who are called to church plant for new life in Jesus' Name. That there are men right now called to lead ministries in Jesus' Name. I pray right now that there are men and women whose gift may not become fully awakened for years to come, but they know and want to be obedient with the call in their life. Father, we offer You our lives and we lay them down as You laid them down for us. May these men and women of God be men and women who live a life that doesn't point to them, but points to You. And at the right time, as they humble themselves before the mighty hand of God, would you appoint them to what you've called them for? In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.